Now, we'll wait for the others. Does anyone know what we've just been preaching on recently? Who can tell me? Anyone? Come on. Trivia. Yep. Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18. Being a friend of God. Who is a friend of God? Father Abraham. That's right. And Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons did Father Abraham. I'm one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's great kids' songs, man. I love them. So today, I want to um, share a message titled, Hearers Can Be Deceived, But Doers Truly Believe. Hearers can be deceived, but doers truly believe. And I want to say straight up, okay? You do not earn salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So what do I mean when I say that Hearers can be deceived and doers truly believe. Well, I'm glad you asked. If we look at James, have you got your Bibles with you? Who's got Bibles on your phones? Get them out. Don't check Facebook. I'll see. I'll check. And... you know, it's been, it's been a bit difficult navigating this message because it can be really twisted sometimes. Um, and the reason why I put that caveat to begin with is that you don't earn salvation is simply because of this passage. James chapter 1, verse 22. And before I just say the verse, which you probably read on the screen anyway, I want to explain to you that James is actually in the genre of wisdom literature. James is obviously a church father, who is the brother of Jesus. And he's actually writing uh, to a church, but it's in the in, in the the framework of wisdom literature because uh, Paul writes a lot of high Christology and salvation and and how we know we're saved and how we were saved and what Christ has done and who we are now and identity. And there's a lot of talk about that in the church at the moment about identity, who we are in Christ, and all those kind of things. And then James comes along and actually comes through and cuts through a lot of this stuff. He, he like brings some balanced perspective to what we, uh, what we read through Paul's writing as well. And James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But what does this scripture mean? Be doers, not hearers. It means do what God says. Don't just hear what God says. Do what God says. Okay? And as I said before, we've been focusing on Abraham. Does everyone know who Abraham is? Put your hand up if you don't know who Abraham is. Yep, okay. So Abraham, he is basically the father of our faith. Many, many um, thousands of years ago, God called a man called Abraham, uh, and he called him to actually... 
um, be a father of a nation. He chose him to redeem humanity through Abraham. And through Abraham would come the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So through his lineage, like, like Abraham is... Jesus is great, 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 came Isaac, who was a son of promise, and out of Isaac came Jacob, who later became Israel. So it's a lineage. It goes through. But Abraham was a man of faith. And um, he, he's not only a man of faith, the Bible refers to him the father of many nations, including us. We are children of Abraham, the father of the faith. He's referred to as the father of faith and the friend of God. And Paul touched on this as well. He said that... Uh, Abraham displays three characteristics. He displays that he is a friend of God. That means intimacy. That means relationship with God. This is not a dead religion. See, the children of Israel were given the law through Moses, and they related to God through, through the law. They, they, were called, they called themselves children of Abraham, but the law was given through Moses. And they, they basically related to God and how they could come to God based upon the works of the law. And so Abraham also, as I said, uh, was referred to the father of many nations. And Paul actually preached on this last week um, about what that looks like as a people, that we're the nation of God, that we have a culture, that we have an identity, that we have um, obviously um, rules that govern how the kingdom should operate and also... um, you know, how we should conduct ourselves in the kingdom. But I want to tell you as well that uh, I want to focus on this aspect that Abraham was the father of faith, okay? And it seems weird, but James also talks about Abraham himself. He says uh, in the book of James, he says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that the faith that was working together, uh, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And that is in James 2, 19 to 23. So it's a little bit on from that passage. So you can see as Abraham, the father of the faith, uh, proved he believed God by doing what God said. He wasn't just a hearer, but also a doer of the word. And that passage in Ephesians that I said, we're justified by faith in Christ. That's true. And Romans also talks about Abraham as well, how saying that Abraham was made righteous because he put his faith in God. But both Romans with Paul and James 
talking about Abraham, it's two different time periods. He's saying that Abraham's faith, the word justified in the Greek um, in James, can also mean vindicated. Just the way that Jesus says um, to the people who's speaking to about wisdom is justified by her children. He's saying wisdom is known by her children. Wisdom is vindicated by the actions that someone does. And he's saying here that Abraham's faith was justified or vindicated, proved the scriptures true by what he actually did. Does that clarify that? So we're not talking about a faith without works because a faith without works is actually dead. You've got to understand that. And my fear is at the moment in the body of Christ, there is a lot of talk about grace, right? And that's right. We should talk about grace. But it's like when you deal with uh, cults and other denominations that don't actually hold to the truths of Scripture, what they mean by grace is a different to what we mean by grace. See, grace is the empowering presence and work of God in your life to bring transformation. It's a free gift from God. Yes, it does mean it does, it's not the same as mercy because mercy just means you're, you're let off the hook, right? Grace does not mean that you're just let off the hook. Grace means that not only do you receive like a free gift, that's what grace is, free gift, but it also, it's, a, it's an empowering presence of God as well in this context, okay? And there's a lot of people saying, well, you know, I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God, um, you know, God's grace and everything, and yet there is actually no evidence that they actually live as a child of God or a son of God, or actually, it's just words. So you can profess to be a child of God, and there are many people today in the world who attend church who come to hear the Word of God, and yet it doesn't change them. And the reason why it doesn't change them is because they don't walk out what they've heard. They don't do the things that... God is actually preaching to them. And the problem is being of being a hearer, if you stay a hearer a long time, is that you become deceived and trapped in a dead faith. See, you can go to every service. You can go to every Bible study. You can go to every camp. You can go to every conference. You can go to every mission trip. You can be at the front jumping up and down at every worship session. But I'm telling you right now, if you're not putting what you have heard into practice, you are walking out a dead faith. You're not even walking. You're just like a dead fish going downstream. You look the part, you know, and the Pharisees were good at this. They were whitewashed tombs. They were pretty on the outside, but inside they're full of dead works. They weren't transformed. And so hearing and doing are different things. Do you, do you understand where I'm going with this, yeah? I know to some of you, this is my week, oh, duh, yeah, you know. But I want to tell you, it's, it's, not as, it's not as easy as what you think it is. And the other scriptures that actually talk about this are quite convicting and confronting. And we've got to actually 
recognize that we too could be deceived. We could actually be hearers of the word sitting in church today. I want to just give you a bit of an example from my own life. So, um, as you know, um, I've not always been a slender guy, as you see today. I have been a bit rotundant, a bit, uh, a bit plump, carrying a bit of weight. Um, I have been, you know, about 25 kilos heavier not so long ago. And so... I was hearing my body loud and clear. My body was telling me, Matt, you're fat. Now, every time I would try and, you know, either walk up some stairs or, you know, try and push in queue for the uh, food on Sunday, you know, I'd feel a bit out of breath. Not only that, when I slept, I kind of felt, you know, felt like all your insides are pressing upon you and there's actually nothing on top of you apart from your own body weight. And uh, not only that as well, but um, I had, my body was telling me through my joints and through certain uh, medical conditions like reflux and all that kind of stuff that, you know, you really need to make some changes, that uh, your body's suffering a bit of judgment based on the decisions that you're making. But I heard all that, but I didn't do anything about it. I just let it continue. And it was only until I actually decided to put into action what I'd heard and do something about it. And i done the research and I knew uh, I had to change diet. And, you know, all these fad diets, and believe you me, I've tried a lot of them and everything. There's three basic things. Diet, exercise, and rest. And, you know, same as in church. We need a good diet of the word. We need to exercise our faith. And we need to rest in the finished work of Christ. Those are three staples that you needed for a successful Christian life. So you can have that one. And so, as I said before, I, I hear many people who say, and, it, and it's funny, like nowadays, I don't know if you've heard it, but I've heard it, is that people say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. You know, you talk about your faith or you're sharing faith. Or, oh, yeah, I believe in God. And James is saying, congratulations. So do demons. So what? That's effectively what he's saying. And we think it's a caveat. We think it's a brave thing. We think it's a kind of thing that's like, you know, we're putting ourselves out there. James is saying, that's not putting yourself out there. Just merely a profession, you know. And yes, I know the scripture that says, if We profess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will be saved. But what we don't understand is that during that time, there was intense persecution. And there was a Lord at that time. Do you know what his name was? Caesar. And what would happen is that Roman um, uh, bearers would come with a little altar to Caesar, come to your workplace you know, come with your laying bricks or whether you're building roads or cleaning out sewage. And they would say, pay homage to Caesar. And they'd grab a little bit of incense and throw it on the altar and go, hail Caesar. Christians could not do that because they dared to speak against the status quo at the time, the ruling principality and power, and say, 
No, Jesus Christ is Lord. And that confession meant death. That confession, that's the context in which he's talking about there that's going on at the time. And so, some of you may go, okay, Matt, I hear what you're saying. But didn't you say before all of this that we're not saved by works? Well, I think it's important that when we do get a passage like Ephesians, and it talks about, you know, being saved through faith as a free gift, we should actually read the whole passage. Amen? Now, the whole passage won't be up on the screen here. I've got it right here. But if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and if, um, if Christian is a media ninja, he might be able to remember what I showed him earlier because we've just got a new program in because ProPresenter decided to die. So, sorry about that. And the whole context, if you're there, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 says, And he made alive, and he, sorry, and you, you, everyone say me, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of, children of wrath just as the others. That's pretty hectic. He's basically saying that Jesus Christ gave you life and you were hell-bound. You were heading for destruction. You were just following your own lusts, your own desires, and storing up judgment for yourself. You knew who God was, but you chose not to obey him or follow him. And it says, but God. I love that. But God. Any situation you're facing at the moment, and it looks hopeless, but God. God can make all grace abound to you. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's great. We quote that a lot, don't we? I sit in heavenly places with Christ. It's hard when you're kind of walking in the way of the devil. But I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. Mm. And here's that scripture I quoted earlier. For grace you have been saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But the following verse, do you know what it says? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That does not mean that just by professing that that's it, you've got your ticket to heaven. No, it involves some walking out of our faith. If you attend church, if you attend Bible studies, all those things, and yet the words that you're hearing, you're not actually putting into practice 
you could very well be deceived. And this morning, I believe Christ wants to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, shine light into your world, even exposing areas of darkness where you yourselves are not walking in the commandments or the hearing of the Word of God. Amen? Have you got that? Amen. Amen. I'm not up here to talk pretty things. I'm not up here to make myself sound good or sound that I know stuff. My sole purpose in this church is to be a shepherd of the flock. My sole purpose is to give an account to God at the end of it for your souls and for my own as well. I will be held in stricter judgment than all of you. That is absolutely terrifying because I even struggle to walk out the very things I'm preaching to you about. Sometimes you can feel such a hypocrite standing from this pulpit, but it's not my job to actually be perfect. It's my job to point you to the one who is perfect and say, follow me as I follow him. Amen? And so, church, I really feel that we're in a place at the moment where we need to get recalibrated. Remember when I spoke at the start of, this, of the year about the New Year's resolutions? How are we going with that? How are we going with those revolu- res- revolutions? Those resolutions. How do we stop becoming deceived hearers and become believing doers? Well, James, in his wisdom, has also put that out to us as well. And he says to us in James 1.21, just before 1.22, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. A few things here. Lay our evil deeds aside. What are our evil deeds? Well, if you know God says, forgive others as you've been forgiven, and you don't forgive others in which you've been forgiven, is that an evil deed? Yes, it is, because Jesus even says this himself. He even says about the parable about the unmerciful servant. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. Oh, sorry, you wicked servant. He said, I forgave you all your debts, yet you could not extend that to your brother. Now you'll pay for that. And, it, and, and Jesus is very, very precise on this. You know, take it up with him, not with me. Because deception kind of rolls in when you start making excuses, why not? Do you know what I mean? But, but, there should only be one but, and that's but God. But God. Not but because I did this. Not but because I was hurt. Not but because fill in the blank. You get the picture. We have to lay aside our pride. How can we receive with meekness the word of God implanted in our hearts if we have a heart of pride? This is what we talked about earlier. When we're looking down on what everyone else is doing and we're looking down on uh, the circumstances and situations and how we feel they should be, are we not sitting in the seat of judgment? Haven't we not got pride in our hearts? My friends, God opposes the proud 
but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be opposed by God. I've experienced it before. It's not nice. Can I save you the trouble? Don't be proud. It didn't work out for the devil. Oh, it feels like someone sucked the air out of this room. We've got to receive with what God is asking us to do. As I said to you before, we've heard it. God says forgive. Are we forgiving? God says be generous. Are you being generous? God says give. Are you giving? God says love. Are you loving? Are you sitting in church every week and storing up condemnation for yourself because you won't put into practice what God is asking you to do? And this is the mercy of God, this message. I need this message. It's the mercy of God because he loves us so much. He's not here to wreck our day and make us feel bad and have low self-esteem. Self-esteem is the problem. We're called to die to self and live for Christ. Not have a list of what, not, what's not right and who's done what. And... Do you know what I reckon the root cause, a lot of why we stumble, why we become hearers of the word and not doers? It's common to everyone. It was even common to Jesus. Can anyone guess what it is? James actually talks about it a little bit earlier. It's temptation. It's the true stumbling block, temptation. And I want to read to you what James says here about temptation. In in, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, he said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one, every person, there's no, no one's immune from this, okay? So don't think of other people in their situation. Think about you. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown, brings forth death. I had a dream a week ago, and Nikita's not here. She was in the dream as well. We were riding bicycles. Sounds really cool. Wasn't really. And we were cycling past the pathway, you know, by the Mindari kind of walkway, and then there's the Mindari Marina bit. You know what I mean? Like you, you walk along the coastal path, and then you come out by the Mindari Marina bit. If you don't know, don't worry. Um, <clears throat> But there, as we were cycling past, and it caught the corner of my eye, and I stopped, there was a lady there, all like dressed in kind of fancy lingerie stuff, right? You go, Matt, where on earth is this dream going? Well, I'll tell you. She was actually giving birth. She's actually having a baby. And God woke me up. And it's the first time, like, God, like, seriously woke me up from a dream with that scripture with that very scripture, that we are enticed by our own 
evil desires. The enemy tempts us with things that look desirable, that look right, that seem right to us, but they lead to death. And so when we actually make an agreement with those desires, and it can be anything, you can make the agreement with falsehood, you can, you know, you'd rather not believe the truth. You know the truth, but you would rather, you know, believe in the deception. It can be uh, battling with addiction. It could be battling with um, a range of different things. But you basically uh, fall every time and fail to follow what God is asking you to do because you fall into temptation. And Jesus, I think, really made a big deal about this in the Lord's Prayer, didn't he? Now, it says, lead us not into temptation. And some people go, well, why does God lead it? No, it doesn't. The actual King James, original Texas Receptus, good version, says, suffer us not into temptation. And he's basically saying, don't allow us to suffer in temptation. And that lines up with Scripture because Scripture says, God will not allow you to be tempted more than you can withstand, but he will provide a way out. So with every temptation comes a way out. So you don't have to walk down the road of temptation. If you are switched on, if you're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh and satisfying the lusts of the flesh, you will see the way out. You will see the door. When you're facing that place of temptation, you sometimes have to get on your knees and say, God, show me the door. God, I need you. I don't want to fall. I want to follow you. But more often than not, because we're, carnal driven we fall into temptation now there's three t's trials testing and temptation temptation is prevalent in both trials and testing see a test is like you've all gone to school yeah i assume done a test was the teacher talking to you during the test no The teacher is silent during a test. Sometimes God is silent because you're going through a test. He's expecting you to apply what you've learnt to the test and therefore overcoming because the test can result in the actual testimony. The test can result in you putting into practice what you've learnt through the Scriptures, through other people. That's why gathering as a body is vitally important because God, funnily enough, speaks through other people in his church. Even the vessels that you don't want to hear it from, God will generally use to speak to you in a way that you don't like. And some of you may not like my shirt at the moment, Alida. But it's okay because God is using it as a vessel to test you. Now, what I'm saying is is that, you know... uh, Sometimes we get caught up with personalities and who does this and who does what. And, and we look at different giftings that people have and we, we kind of navigate to the, the giftings that we need or like, right? But God can sometimes use people of different giftings to speak to you in a way that kind of grates you a bit. You, know, you understand what I'm saying, yeah? So God can use the test to bring the testimony which you overcome. The trial is different. The trial is where 
your character is being grown or pruned. The trial is where you're going through something and God is actually wanting to forge something in you. You know, like whenever you do like, um, for example, uh, exercise or anything like that, you put your body through serious trials and punishment. You know, uh, an unhealthy body does not like running. An unhealthy body likes lying down and eating. It's the worst possible thing. Your whole flesh is like, ah! And our soul's the same as well when we're going through spiritual trials. Our soul is like, I don't like this. It's not comfortable. I don't like it. I don't like yeah. You know? And we, we can get a bit immature. You, you know what I'm saying? Is it just me or? Yeah, okay, cool. I'm not alone. Thank goodness. Uh, <clears throat> so, the trial, the test also both succumb to temptation. You can be being tested and the temptation comes and you can fail the test. And we can read through scripture and you could probably point to areas in your life where you have failed the test. You were supposed to apply what God told you to do and you didn't do it. Okay? But if we turn to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us and his blood washes us from all unrighteousness. But we have to turn to him, not go further on down in our own sin. The same with the trial as well. Temptation can lead us out of the place of trial that's going to develop our character to get to us to the next level. And a trial can be for a season, and it can be a long season. But you know what? Even if you're taking little steps, even if your feet are caked with mud and you're trapsing through that, even if you're just looking forward and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, you will get there. I don't care whatever you're going through right now, whatever trial you're suffering at the moment and you feel like it's been a long season and how long, O oh Lord, keep moving forward. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep walking towards him. Every step you take is a win in the kingdom. And even if you fall backwards, try not to. Fall forwards. Fall on your face before the throne and say, God, I need you. Don't sit back there and blame everyone else or anything else. It's a trial. You're going to overcome because greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. Church, I'm just about done here. And this is really a bit of a meat and potatoes kind of message, okay? The trials, the tests, but the temptation is overall. And I don't know about you, but I'd love the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please, (laughs) to actually reveal to you, or if he has revealed to you already, areas in your life where you're succumbing to the temptation to either withdraw or fall into more sin. You have to ask Holy, I cannot be the Holy Spirit for you. I cannot look at your life because I'm only seeing a picture of your life. I'm not caring what you're doing. Hey, um, is that video ready to go, the um, Pilgrim's Progress? I'm just going to, can you close those curtains for us, Carl? Um, who knows of a book called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? Probably one of the most famous Christian books of all time, and only four people have put their hand up, which is slightly concerning. But I love Pilgrim's Progress. But they've made, actually, a cartoon version of it. 
a new one, which is really cool. But this scene is a, a scene called the Hill of Salvation. Okay? And, and it follows the story of a person called Christian, right, who's left the world to follow the king's path. Okay? And now he approaches the Hill of Salvation and there's a choice before him. And I'm just going to let you watch the thing because otherwise I'll talk all the way through it. So go. Patience path. Passion passage. Which one? Look. Do not just see. Ah, this doesn't make sense to me. But I have not gone wrong to follow the king's road, no matter how difficult it may seem. I don't know how I will carry this burden up this narrow hill, but... If I am to go forward... King shall give me strength. He shall give me strength. to ease my load. What? And if he wills to ease my load, then... Oh! Joy! What am I nearing that my burden is finally being loosed? <laughs> oh! I was right to follow the king's path, for with... with each step, he is setting me free!
True freedom comes through obedience. When we follow Him, I think the worst prison you could ever be in is the prison of your own desires and your own selfish lusts. It just leads you into bondage and slavery and death. And ultimately, Christ came to set us free and give us life. And as I said to you before, In James, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you love him this morning? Then you can endure. If you love him, you can endure. If you love him, you can endure. Do you love him? Do you love him more than your sin? Do you love him more than the temptation that you're facing right now to commit sin? Is he worth more to you than being in bondage and slavery to your own desires and your own passions? Then this morning, if that is true, then I want to encourage you, church, to not just be hearers of the word, but do what it says. And I challenge myself as well. We're going to make it, guys, if we do what the king says. Because he's got our best intentions at heart. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you for every one of these wonderful people, Lord. And Lord... um, I know right now, Lord, that you have planted in good soil this morning. That there has been a humility in this room that only you could bring, Lord. That they could receive what you want to share with them this morning. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would be with every person when they're alone with you. That they would hear your voice about what they need to do in their circumstance and their situation and be able to follow you, to be able to do what you're asking them to do. Because, Lord, there is no condemnation in you and there's no condemnation for us who are in you. But it says those who claim to be in you must walk how you walk. And so, Jesus, we want to walk how you walked. And we know that this truth is a gift as well, Lord. We can't earn it. It will be evidenced that we believe it by the way we walk it out. So help us to patiently endure the temptation to turn away to our own desires that only give birth to sin that brings death. And help us to walk in your steps. I pray a blessing over every person here today that they would hear you loud and clear and be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So if anyone wants to discuss anything further, because I understand sometimes it's hard to break a habit or break a, something that you're struggling with. And that's why we have prayer and that's why we have people here who have gone through certain things and they've passed the test. They have the testimony. 
They've gone through the trial and they've triumphed and they have gained temperance through the temptation. So please grab someone if you need help because we're here to support, encourage and love and edify one another. Amen.